Oh, Jesus. Come on. Jesus is a real star. I'm just his hype man. Come on. In your face section with Pete Cabrera Jr. Oh, Jesus, baby. <laughs> hey, guys. My name is Pete Cabrera Jr. with the Royal Family International University and School of Identity and Lifestyle. And you were listening to the All Jesus Podcast. And guys, this is part two of the new man's deliverance. If you haven't listened to part one, I recommend that you stop right here. Go listen to part one because when we get into part two, you're kind of going to be wondering about what's going on, what's happening. But guys, we're going to be talking about manifestation, true manifestation versus the lie manifesting. And that's what we're going to get into. So yeah, say about that. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. Sweet Jesus. Okay. So here we go, guys. Hey. When we get started, I want to let you guys know that everything I'm going to be talking about, I've given it some thought. I'm trying to bring it to you in a way that you understand. So I'm going to be breaking this down the best that I can, okay? The best that I can. So guys, here we go. The New Man's Deliverance, part two. I wanted to start by saying that I created this podcast with you in mind to get you to go deeper, to provoke you, to help you. My desire in it all is to help you grasp a greater understanding of who God is for you and to help you find your role in the story of salvation. Believe it or not, guys, we all have a role in salvation because we all play a role in the story of salvation. I'll be pouring out my thoughts along with scripture in hopes of creating a beautiful painting for you through the thoughts and the lenses of a new creation in Christ. Everything I say in this podcast is to be taken to scripture, all of us to be taken to scripture, and in doing so, you'll be able to bring a balance to your walk in Christ. Today, I will do my best to explain something that I'm truly, truly passionate about and dear to my heart, and that is how we as the body of Christ can stay free. And what I believe is keeping us from entering this place of rest and entering all that Christ is in this freedom. We've all fallen in the traps of some of, of, of what we would call the demonic. We've all been there. We've all fallen into traps in some form or another, and praise God that we all have a way out in Christ. And like, like everyone else, I, like many others, have also fallen into snares and traps that the enemy has placed in my walk. And I'm hoping that through my story and journey, through the snares and falls and everything that I've done, the ups and downs, that I can encourage you all to keep going and never give up. As long as you draw breath, as long as you draw breath, you will always have a chance. Now, that being said, we're going to have at it, okay? In today's podcast, we'll be focusing on what happens when a person falls into deception and what the difference is in terms of manifesting a devil and manifesting a son of God. Now, as we go on, you're going to ask yourself, okay, Pete, you just said two things. You said manifesting devils and manifesting the sons of God. You didn't, you didn't say manifesting spirits, manifesting demons. You said, we're going to talk about that as we go on, okay? And how can we for sure and know for sure that what we're seeing in terms of manifestation is rooted in God's truth or rooted in the enemy's lies? In today's episode, we'll be talking about manifestation, ladies and gentlemen, manifestation what is going on what is manifesting in a christian what is going on all scripture we read addresses a walk and how we live our lives in terms of obedience to god whether we do good or whether we do bad let's not forget first samuel 15 22 obedience is greater than sacrifice but let's not forget that our entire walk is based on manifestation the question is how can we determine as children of God whether or not what we or anyone else, or that matter, when manifesting is rooted in God's reality or rooted in a lie? 
what is real versus what is not. Here's what we're gonna talk about. When I'm saying that, here's what you can ask yourself. What are you saying, Pete? What are you saying? This ain't real. That's not what I'm talking about. We're going to address that. Usually when I say things like this, I have someone say to me, Pete, what are you saying? That this isn't real, that this isn't happening, that what people are going through is made up. The devil's real, Pete. And so, so the attacks, are you insinuating that all this is just made up? It's all just made up? No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm addressing is when someone is under deception, it only becomes real to them we never talk about that when under deception deception becomes real to the person who is in deception when the power of deception grabs hold of someone it becomes very difficult to convince that person otherwise or anything else outside of the reality that they're in it's almost impossible people say this it's easier to convince someone of a lie than to get them out of a lie and quite frankly that is true it's for some reason it's harder. The enemy's tactic since the beginning in the Garden of Eden was and still is to convince the children of God to go against God's word and trading it for a lie. Every time we trade it, it produces death and destruction. This is called consequences or what we would call the wages of sin. We all know that the wages of sin is death. Give this some thought. Why would the enemy try to possess someone when all he has to do is just deceive them. The scripture tells us we become one with what we believe. That's Proverbs 23, 7. As he thinks in his heart, so he is. Deception is easy to implement in the lives of those who don't read their Bibles and especially for those who don't know their word. Not knowing your Bible is the same as not knowing God's truth, guys. If we don't know our word, the enemy can ask you, did God say? And if you don't know, what will you say? Will you guess? We just kind of, we can't do that. We can't afford to do that. Ask yourself this question. Just give this some thought. If the enemy could possess someone as a born again believer, there wouldn't be any need for him to deceive them. Let me say that one more time. If the enemy could possess someone as a born again believer, there wouldn't be any need for him to deceive them. He could just take them. What if the deception is making you believe the lie and the lie is that he owns you, that you're his. And if he truly did own you, then it wouldn't be deception, would it? It would be full on true possession. And if it was true that the devil or evil spirit truly did possess you as a child of God, then how would you go free? If it's truth that sets you free, how would you go free? Look, if the truth sets you free and it's true that you're possessed by the devil, then how do you go free if that's the truth? Give that some thought. If the truth is that a Christian is possessed by spirit and the Bible confirms that it's the truth that sets you free, am I to believe that the only way I would be able to go free is to believe that I have something or to believe a lot? Like that makes no sense. Why is it so hard to just accept God's truth? That's just a question that I always ask. And how can one accept God's truth if one doesn't know it? That's a whole nother conversation. What makes a person manifest a lie? I believe it's the same thing that makes a person manifest the truth. It's believing it. Look, if you're going to believe a lie, you're going to manifest a lie. If you believe the truth, you're going to manifest the truth. That's just kind of how it works. John 8, 32. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. 
So according to this verse, what makes you go free? According to that verse, it's knowing the truth. The word knowing in this context is an intimate knowing, meaning to become one with, to know, joining yourself to it. Because as we all know, truth is a person and his name, as we all know, is Jesus the Christ. This is an amazing reality. This is very amazing. When one joins themselves to the truth and accepts it, according to the text, it makes us free. And the outcome of that walk becomes a manifestation of truth. So then joining oneself to the lie and accepting it as truth will do the opposite. If we accept the lie as truth, we then join ourselves with the lie that we've accepted as truth, causing us to engage in the lie, resulting in walking out that lie through deception, resulting in demonic manifestation. It what most of us would call demonic activity. Now, I know, I know, I know what you're going to think. No, demonic activities when, you know, a chair slides across the room. No, demonic activities like whispering and shadows and, and, and that's what we think it is, right? We think demonic activity is that in terms of floating things and, and things that go bump in the night, whispering and so forth and so on. And, you know, to be quite frank, demonic activity is anything that results in releasing hell on earth or in your life. That's basically what demonic activity is. Doing something that's not of God is considered demonic activity when it comes to the scriptures. Now, you're going to say, well, how do we know that's true? I know guys with Hollywood and everything that's that's coming out, they want to depict the devil as powerful, things floating around. And you know what? That sells tickets, man. That sells tickets. And I tell people, look, if a true born-again believer, child of God, would have been in the movie The Exorcist, it would only last two seconds. That person would have just walked into the room, that, Come out. It'd been over. And that'd have been it. And you would you wouldn't have paid for that because that's not entertaining, right? And there's a lot of things that we pay for because, you know, we think it's entertaining. And quite frankly, we shouldn't be entertained by people getting hurt or whatnot. But that's just me, right? You're probably asking yourself, why didn't I use the term spirit earlier in the question? When I had asked about manifesting a child of God versus a child of a devil. That's because in scripture it doesn't ever say it's a spirit manifesting in the new covenant. It never says that. Now, when they're addressing the born-again believer, it's always addressing children, not spirit. Always. If you do your homework, you'll find out that after Pentecost, it's not about a spirit manifesting. It's about a Christian getting into the flesh and becoming carnal. That's what it's always about. 1 John 3.10. Through this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Anyone not practicing righteousness is not of God. And also one not loving his brother. We will talk about this as we go on about manifestation. Look, as Christians, 1 Timothy 5, 13 through 15, and withal, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but gossipers, also busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, you know, guide the house, give no occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. Now, these are Christians. They've turned aside. They're following Satan, they're doing things that saying something. It's not saying that they have saying they've turned aside. They're basically following the enemy. Galatians 5.15. But if you bite and devour one another, this is, this is crazy. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That's within the church, guys. What's the difference between living with a spouse or a friend that gossips about you all day long and a spirit that is bullying you all day long? What's the difference? Here's one. How about people calling you names versus a spirit calling you name? What's the difference? People oppressing you versus a spirit oppressing you. What's the difference? A spirit devouring you and a Christian devouring you. What's the difference? What's the difference between a spirit 
talking to you negatively and condemning you and someone you know talking to you that way. What's the difference? It's going to do the same thing. This is why it's called a messenger. This is why the Bible says that the devil comes as a messenger of light. It leaves you with a message. It leaves you with something. That's what it's all about. Does this mean everyone who's responding in an ungodly manner as a born-again believer is under attack or going through some sort of battle or being demonically manipulated or are they under the power of the evil one? The argument would be that any person who's acting demonic or out of character of Christ would have to be under demonic influence. That's that's basically what people would say. Okay, so, let, so let's look at it. Let's look at how someone could be influenced by the enemy and, and, and through what means that would be, okay? Okay, so through a thought, through a feeling, through trauma, through something that they've heard, maybe something they saw, like a movie, a book, worldly music, maybe a trinket, some jewelry, uh, maybe the area they live in, who knows, maybe demonic territory, generational curses, the list goes on and on and on. I'm asking these questions for a reason. Let's ask the hard questions for Christ's sake. I just want the entire body of Christ to be totally free from everything that is causing them to stumble in their walk with Christ. We have to know what is going on. We have to know the difference. We cannot accept everything as truth. We just can't do it. We can't. We must put everything, everything through the filter. We have to do it. I'm asking these questions because we have to know. We have to know what is going on. We have to know the difference. We cannot accept everything as truth. We must put everything we're experiencing up against scripture. We got to do it. We must take a step back and just look at everything through the eyes of scripture. We have to put it through the fire. We must be able to know the difference between someone who's living in deception and someone who's under possession, according to the scriptures. What's the difference between living out the truth and living out a lie? We must be able to discern. We have to know the difference, guys. We have to know. When searching out truth, where should we look? When we're searching out truth, where should we look? Be honest. Do we want man's truth or God's truth? Does man lie? Well, according to Romans 3, 4, let God be true and every man a liar as it is written so that you may be proved right when you speak and victorious when you judge. Does God lie? Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So then whose truth should we rely on? Man's hearsay or God's word? Come on, man. Men of God get so mad at me because I say, okay, let's get it. What's the word say about that? What's the word say about that? And, and for some reason, I'm like talking to ministers and I'm like, wait a minute. You're a minister of the word of God and you should be able to show me what it is that you're talking about. You should be able to address that. Let's take it, let's take it a little further. Jesus said he was the truth. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then we can all say, without a shadow of a doubt, we can fully and truly trust God's word over man's word. Correct? We all know that. No foul done. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we shouldn't learn from anyone. I'm not stating that we shouldn't do that. I'm only stating that we must take everything we hear and take it to God's word to ensure a solid foundation to stand on. That's what I'm saying. We must always do this before we accept anything as truth. We do this to ensure that we are standing on God's word and his truth and not man's interpretation of God's word and their truth. Big difference. What does God say about what we speak and believe? There's a saying that I like to go by. Before you buy into something, make sure you count the cost because you will spend the rest of your life 
paying for it in ministry. We were running to ministers that will lead us to other material outside of God's word when it comes to the topic of deliverance, devils, demons, the demonic all day long. Honestly, honestly, I don't know why anyone would want to create practices outside of God's word. I don't understand that. As an ambassador of Christ, we must stay within what is written. We don't get to speak from self. We not speak for God. This is one of the things that really gets me when I ask men of God or ministers to explain to me what they mean by Christians being demon possessed or to show me in God's word where a born again believer had a spirit or demonic in their flesh biblically. I ask them biblically, just show it to me. And they don't. They'll show me different circumstances, certain things. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. That's not what it says. You're taking that out of context. That's not what that's about. Or when someone had to cast a demon or devil out of someone that was already born again, like, where's that at in scripture and how they did it biblically? Like, how did they do it? Like, where was Paul at? Where was the apostles at? Where was their team at? Like, how, how, how were they doing it? And they respond with, well, have you listened to this minister or have you read this book or have you seen this video? Or I saw, or they heard, or I seen, or hey, I can send you this link. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where are you getting that from? My response is always as a minister of God's word. Why can't you just explain what's happening biblically? You are a man of God. Show me how this is possible. Biblically, give me an example of this in the church of Acts and so forth. Show me in the letters from Paul that addresses this issue. Let's not assume. Let's be Thorough. Can you imagine? Look, hear me out. Can you imagine going to a doctor and asking him to treat you, and the doctor goes outside of the medical field or handbook and they start assuming that it might be this and it could be that? Then they start asking the sickness itself and the disease, where it came from, and and and, and how it got there. And that'd be silly. You'd be like, dude, what kind of doctor are you? You're talking to my illness. Silly, right? Of course. He wouldn't do that. He would check you. He'd look you over and ask you questions. The doctor's job is to find out how the sickness got there and what was introduced to you, you know, whether what you ate or whatnot, and so on and so forth. And this is how doctors treat you. They know what's going on because they study the body. This is mind-boggling to me. They actually study to find out how they can help you. Yet, we as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can't even do our homework to find out what is actually going on within the body of Christ. It blows my mind. We just assume and hope and not once do we go back to the healing manual, the Bible, to find out how to minister correctly in this area. It's very crazy, crazy. We buy people's books and seminars. And we just assume because they have a platform, a movie, a name, some influence, and they must have the answer. Folks, all of the answers are in the Bible. If we just sit down and study it out, I have nothing against books and influences. I'm only stating why is the word of God not the foundation in most practices within the body? Remember, goats will eat anything. God's sheep won't. There's a difference. There's not many sheep out there. It's a lot of goats, man. They just eat. And hear me out. Hear me out when I say this. When I say this, I'm saying this with a lot of compassion in my heart for the people that are struggling with sickness, disease, and things that are happening to them. Like, this is real for them. Like, they are going through struggles. Like, it's real. Like, they are in it, and they don't know how to get out. And when people are desperate, they'll do anything. But here's the thing. We can't just do anything. We have to do what the Word of God says because we come out of the Word. The Word sustains us. If we did things the way God said, we would be fine. But we don't. 
We listen to everybody else. We want it fast. We want it quick. We want it this way and that way. And so, guys, don't misunderstand me. So hear my heart. I understand there's people struggling. I understand. That was me. That was all of us. The reason I have this podcast is because I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. How do you treat a new creation? Give us some thought. Well, you don't treat the new man like the old creation. You don't. And for sure, you don't apply old covenant realities to a new covenant creature. You're not supposed to do that. Let's not treat the new man under the old man remedy. That, my friends, would be crazy. But you know how many people we have in the body of Christ that are treating everybody like they're in the old man, treating everybody like they're still the body of sin, treating everybody like they're still demonic, treating everybody, like no joke, like this is happening within the body. This is usually what I get when I'm in this conversation. I get someone bringing up every, look, look, hear me out. Everyone Jesus ministered to was demonized. Hear me out. Because we're going to talk about Matthew, right? Because everybody always brings up Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus went around casting devils out. The disciples went around casting devils out. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I get that. Look, I'm not arguing the fact that Jesus was, was casting devils out. We know that's what he was doing. But in context, everyone that Jesus cast a demon out of was not born again. This was Jesus ministering to the old man everywhere before the cross. There was still the old man before the cross, not the new man. They'll start talking about the spirits, the devils, the demons, and all these things that Jesus was casting out, which I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's what he was doing. And also how the disciples did the same thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And for some reason, they believe that children of God, born of the Holy Spirit, that this is still happening within the body of Christ, that we're to cast devils out of each other within the body of Christ, which I might add are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. This to me is very interesting to me. Jesus talked about this. That's called a kingdom divided. That's called a kingdom divided. If you have a demon inside, you are an evil spirit or this and that. You are you going to cast the evil spirit out of somebody else? Now, we have ministers saying this stuff on stage, talking about, I can have a devil, I can have a demon, or oh, I have one. And then they're going to like they're gonna cast demons. I'm like, come on, man. Like We got to pick a side here. And I'm not saying that they're doing this intentionally. I'm just saying that they're getting their understanding from other people. They're, they're so desperate to help people that they'll do whatever it is that they can do. And I get it. Okay? I get it. I understand. But I want to bring clarity. The Great Commission, cast out devils. Yes, I'm all for it. Yet in the body of Christ, within the church, it's about teaching born-again believers not to act like devils. Okay? That's what it's about in the church. Remember, before we came to Christ, we were all devils. We were all under the power of the demonic. We were all there. We were all under the power of the devil. We weren't new creations yet. Casting out devils isn't just done spiritually. It's also done physically within the church, guys. Did you know it's both and, not either or? Did you know when it says cast out devils, it doesn't just mean them spiritually. It also means physically as well. We're going to talk about that later on. Let's not forget, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, everyone had the old heart. Everybody had the old heart, the fallen spirit in them. They were all fallen. Everyone was living in sin under the oppression of the devil. All were dead in Adam before the born-again experience. No one was born of the Spirit yet. Remember, the Holy Spirit was not yet given as a gift, making us children of God until Pentecost. John 7, 39. But this spoke of the Spirit, which they that believed on him would receive of the Holy Ghost that was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When performing acts of any kind... We must all agree it all has to be biblical. If it's not biblical and it becomes a practice, we call that malpractice. Malpractice. Now look at it through the eyes of the great physician. I'll give you an example. Through the eyes of our great physician, as a doctor, how would he treat you now as a new creation? The truth is that there was no cure, no cure for what you had as the old man. There was no cure. The old man could only be treated, but could never be cured. 
He was already dead. You were already dead. You just didn't know it. He was on life support. Jesus came to pull the plug on everything that had you living in sin and in misery. This is why you had to die in your sin, die in your sickness. You had to take on Jesus' death. Jesus didn't come to cure the old man. He came to kill him off and give you a new life from sickness and disease and hell and the grave and everything that hell had to offer. He wanted to get you out of that. It's not your identity anymore. The host, the man of sin, had to die with you. You had to die to that whole reality. We now walk in newness of life, not in the oldness of death. Let's take a real good look at this. Let's say that you're in Jesus' office, who's your great physician. And you're sitting on, the, on his examining table. And he asks you, what's going on? What would you say? And what would the great physician say about what you say? And how would he treat you and your circumstances and situations based on what you said? Now, remember, he's the antidote to everything you just mentioned about everything you got going on. He's the answer. Would he subscribe something to you? Would he give you more of him on a greater dose? Would he remind you that he lives in you and that he's in you and that's all you need? Is that what he do? Or would he say, hey, I get it. But listen, there seems to be a demonic spirit on the inside of you. And I need to send you to a specialist who specializes in this sort of stuff. Let's see if I can uh, get him out to you. Let's, let, let's see if we can get him to you. Okay, and, and then when you go talk to him, if that didn't work, come back to me and, and let's see what else we can do. Is that what he would do? Of course not. Can you hear how silly that sounds? Can we just get honest with ourselves for a second? Come on. We have the Holy Ghost, Jesus the Christ, God the Father, all dwelling on the inside of us through Christ, and someone want me to believe that this is not enough. Wow. Wow. Okay, look, look, let's not forget. You couldn't be treated. You had to be killed off. I can show you biblically that you died in Christ and that the old man is dead. I can show you biblically that you've already been delivered from the power of darkness. I can show you biblically that what is manifesting biblically in a born again believer is the result of a born again believer choosing to get into the flesh and living in it and not a spirit. I can also show you biblically that it isn't a demonic spirit living in their flesh and that it's a choice. I can also show you biblically that the only spirit allowed to manifest in a born again believer is the spirit of God. I can also show you biblically that the enemy has no legal right to you. I can also show you biblically that the enemy has no power and that he's already been defeated i can also show you biblically that you're already sealed by his spirit and you're sealed by the holy spirit spirit soul and body and that you're strengthened by his spirit in the inner man i can also show you biblically that you've become one with the spirit and that you're the temple of the holy spirit we can go on and on and on and on it's important that we address what is happening to us we got to address it and what's happened to us from the perspective and realities of the finished work of Christ at the cross and from the finished work of Jesus. He said it's finished. Let's practice biblical truths. Let's avoid malpractice in Christ. We have to practice the word. Hey, guys, we practice the word of God. That's what we do. That's what we practice. The word. In the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. Come on. Like that's our weapon. Rule of thumb. If a minister or person cannot show you biblically why they believe this is going on nine times out of ten he's getting his teachings from an outside source and not the word of god and quite frankly if we are teaching something that we've heard and not what we've studied out or put into practice in our lives it's not coming from a biblical standpoint how can we know for sure that it works especially if we can't explain it in context perfect example of malpractice right there so then why should anyone listen to anyone who doesn't line it up to scripture? Why? You have to be able to explain it biblically. We should test everything we teach with the word of God. Something to take into account. 
If someone is mentioning books, teachings, hearsay, and he continues to, to tell you these things and you follow them down that path, we just jumped ship into what people believe and not what the word of God says. Always lead people to the word of God. Always lead them to the word says. This is what the word says. This is what the word says. Because remember, it's the word. It's always the word. Because in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. and The word was God. And the word became flesh. The word became flesh. We want the word to become flesh, not the lie to become flesh. That's where the manifestation comes in. We want to manifest the truth, not the lie. And we know who the truth is. It's a person. Let's make sure we're teaching God's word first and that it leads them into biblical truths and practices. Always. I don't believe they're doing this intentionally. I don't believe that they're like getting up in the morning and trying to do this stuff intentionally. I truly believe that most of the men and women of God are doing the best they can with what they have. And God bless them. But nevertheless, Leading someone outside of God's word is the same as leading someone astray. It's the same thing. We should not, as ministers of God's word, be teaching or telling others to look for answers outside of God's word. Never. We should never do that. Ever. Big no-no. Nothing wrong with reading other books. Don't misunderstand me. But none of them are God's breathe. None of them is God's breath. The word of God is God's breath and life given to us. It is life. Yes, God's word is the ultimate authority. If we claim to be ministers of Christ, we're ministers of God's word, not our own. I tell people, you got to know your word. 1 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Oh, man, when we get into doctrine, I'm like, all right, I want to I get into your doctrine. Let's get into it. For reproof, which means when we get into doctrine and we start getting into the word, a doctrine is how you practice what you know. That's what a doctrine is. When Jesus was casting devils out, they said, what kind of new doctrine is this? So there's a doctrine and there's a right way to do things. It's sound doctrine. So now, for reproof and for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Righteousness means doing it the right way. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Which means that we, through through the word of God, we as ministers have a right and an obligation to speak to other men of God and say, hey, according to the word of God, according to the doctrine that you're teaching, this is not, this is not looking right. Where are you getting this from? Look, it says right here for correction. We need to use this word and correct the issue. Look, it's not about correcting you. It's about correcting the issue because this affects everyone. And if this issue can be corrected, it affects everyone the right way. So if it's wrong in one area, it's going to bleed into everything else. So let's dive into some crazy facts. Biblically, we know that we had an evil heart and a fallen spirit before we came to Christ, according to Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Hebrews. And now we have a new heart and a new spirit. That's what's in us. Look, Ezekiel 36, 26 confirms it. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26 says that, Jeremiah 31, 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, said the Lord, I will put my laws in their inward parts and write in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And Hebrews 8, 10 confirms Coming into the new covenant, now this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those deaths, said the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I'll be to them a God, and they shall be my people. So we can confirm. We have a new heart and a new spirit. The question is, what lives in your heart right now? What lives in your heart right now? And you know what? Here's the crazy thing. Because, and, and this is what, what irks me. I'm going to say irks. It's been a minute. This is what irks me right here. 
Because scripture confirms there's a spirit in your heart. Then what's that? Well, let's not, let's not address the heart. Let's just address what's between the heart and the flesh, like skin. So there has to be a, a spirit that lives like in between your heart and your skin. It's in there somewhere. But we're going to address that. Galatians 4, 6. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. So what lives in your heart right now, according to that? So what lives in your heart? So what lived in your old heart before you gave your life to Jesus? Well, according to Galatians 4, 6, the spirit of Christ wasn't present and it wasn't living in your heart. So then what was living in your old corrupt heart before you gave your life to Jesus? Because Galatians 4, 6, that says that you received the spirit of his son. So what did you have in your heart before you received the spirit of his son? Go and dress that. And that's in 1 John 4, 2 through 4. That's 1 John 4, 2 through 4. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. There's one. And every spirit that confesses that not Jesus came in the flesh is not of God. There's two. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Okay. It just said, this is that spirit of Antichrist. Wherefore, you have heard that it should come and even already is in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he, which is the spirit of God, that is in you than he, which is the spirit of the Antichrist, that's in the world. So these are two spirits. According to 1 John 4, 3, it's an Antichrist spirit. That literally means not Christ, Antichrist. And the scripture calls it a he, he that is in the world. So it was the Antichrist spirit that lived in your heart before you came to Christ. The spirit that manifests into the man of sin. You were one with that spirit before you gave your life to Jesus. That's the spirit that you were one with. That's what you were manifesting. You were manifesting your identity, which was Antichrist, not of God. Can we all agree? That the corruptible seed known as the Antichrist spirit died with us according to Romans 6.6. 6. Can we all agree that? Knowing this, I'm going to read it, Romans 6.6. 6, knowing this, that our own man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth, we should not serve sin. So then the question is, where did this spirit go? Is it floating around? Is its mission to follow you like, you know, this thing that's just going to wreak havoc on you all day long? It's just following you around. It's like a shadow. It's just the question is, can the Antichrist spirit move back in? That's really what I want to get to. Can it move back in? Can the Antichrist spirit move in? Or is it another spirit? Or is it another demonic spirit? Like, which spirit is it? Let's, let's get to it. So can it move back in? And where would it live? It used to live in the heart of stone, the old heart. But now you have a new heart, a heart of flesh. We would have to say that the spirit of Christ and the Antichrist spirit would have to occupy the same space. If it came back, that's what it would have to be. But that would make no sense because that would mean they wouldn't have to be born again, that anybody would have to be born again or get a new heart. That would mean that the spirit of Christ could just move in and occupy the same space if that was the case. So no, that's not happening biblically. That's not going to happen. And if it was possible, the scripture wouldn't confirm in Romans six seventeen, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart. That form of doctrine which was delivered you. You wouldn't be able to obey from the heart if it was occupied by a demonic spirit. You would still be a servant of sin. It wouldn't happen. It's not going to happen. Also, in Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that being rooted and grounded in love. So Galatians 4.6, and because you are sons of God, he has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. And usually, when I address this question, someone will bring the scripture out. That I'm about to read to you right here and say, no, no, no. Look, look here. Look, look I'm going to read to you Matthew 12, 43 through 45. Okay. Okay. Let, let's read it. 
Let's get it. Let's get it. Here it is. Matthew 12, 43 through 45. And guys, if you wouldn't mind hitting the share and the like button, I'm trying to get this out to as many people as possible. I want Christians to walk in liberty and freedom. I want the lies to fall off of them. That's what I want. So here we go. Matthew 12, 43 through 45. This is Jesus talking. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through a dry place, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goes he and takes with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also into this wicked generation. So let's confirm. Everyone Jesus was speaking to in the book of Matthew was not born again. And to confirm that this doesn't apply to a born-again believer filled with the Spirit of God. He states, even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. We are not of that wicked generation. We are children of God born of the Spirit. We ain't any type of wicked generation. As we read in Scripture, the heart is the home of the seed known as the Spirit. So in this context, the heart is the home of the Spirit. Remember, you had an old heart, you got a new heart. And in the old heart was the Antichrist spirit. I just showed you biblically that it's the Antichrist spirit that lived in you before you gave your life to Jesus. And it lived in your heart. And that heart was the home of the spirit before you got a new one. Here we go. Luke 11, 21, 23. I'll confirm it. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come unto you. When a strong man armed keeps his palace, pay attention. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he takes from him all his armor wherein he trusts and divides his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that it gathers, gathers not with me scatters. This is why scripture tells us in Colossians 2.15, pay attention, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. This confirms what Jesus is addressing in Luke eleven twenty one 21 through 23 about entering a strong man's house and overtaking him. This is known as taking possession of the residence at the cross. When we give our lives to Jesus and knowing that Jesus defeated and spoiled principalities and powers and triumphs over them by the cross, then Galatians 4, 6, God sends the spirit of his son into your heart, the house crying out, Abba, Father, confirming that he has taken up residence in your heart, turning you into a temple of God. First Corinthians 6, 19. What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Why is the body not your own? Because you were paid for with a price, and it's now the residence of the Christ. Now. That's what's happening now. After the cross, Jesus enters our heart, taking up residence, Matthew 12, in terms of the spirit coming back with seven more, worse than itself, but because before the cross, the enemy had legal right to everyone before the cross. The enemy could come back because it was still his house. It wasn't taken from him yet. Hence the word spoiled. Spoiled is another word for plunder or robbed. Jesus spoils, spoils everything that the enemy had. You were his property. You were everything that he had. You were everything that the enemy and, and Jesus spoiled him and took everything that was not, that was not his, which was you and set you free. And not only did he set you free, he moved in. He claimed you. He claimed you. He moved in. 
he set up shop. So as a non-born-again believer, the enemy has legal and full right to the vessel known as the body of sin. This is why it's called the body of sin in Romans 6.6. 6. Before you give your life to Jesus, the body of sin is the body of transgression because it transgresses God, which means that it can't do anything right because it's carnal. You're living in the flesh. Everything that you do in the flesh, you cannot please God. This is why it's called the body of sin. The body of sin. It was destroyed when you died with Christ. Now it's called the body of Christ after the born again experience. First Corinthians 12, 27. Now you're the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. That's first Corinthians 12, 27, which proves now you are the body of Christ. You are not the body of sin. Look, Jesus is not the head of the body of sin. Jesus does not live in a body of sin. He doesn't do that. He cannot live in a body of sin. This is why you had to die so he could move in. He killed off everything, everything that was not of God. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it. Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So here you're the body of Christ, and right here, Christ is in you. Ephesians 1.22 through 23, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body and fullness of him that filleth all in all. The fullness of him that fills all in all. Come on, man. The fullness of him. The fullness of him. Okay, so I just read to you that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and that you are now the body of Christ and that the Christ is in you and that all things are put under his feet and now he's the head of all things and the church, which is his body because we're a part of the body, we're part of the church and now you have the fullness so three things will be addressed in this next verse. His spirit in your heart and you as a vessel being filled with all the fullness of God. Here, watch this. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And here's the kicker right here. Next verse. Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So this power works in us to do what? What's this power doing in us? To do more than we can think or ask, according to that verse. So the power of God is doing something in us regardless of what we think or ask. What do you think that is? Ephesians 1.3. In whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that you believe you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Hey, listen to the way the Amplified says it. Oh. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and as a result, believed in him, were stamped with the seal of the promise, Holy Spirit, the one promised by Christ, as owned and protected by God. Owned and protected by God. My God, come on. Come on. Let's break this down. Let's deconstruct this in reverse. Let, let's, let's throw it in reverse. And if you guys are kind of wondering why I'm not kind of pushing things on YouTube and all these things, it's because we got four schools running around the world, and we're pushing some other stuff, and I'm getting curriculum done, and I'm studying. And it's a beautiful thing because, you know, because I have this podcast, 
I can actually put out some good content because this podcast wraps the globe. It wraps the world and it's free and people come to it and they can drink from it. The Lord said to dig a well and to make sure that this well is full all the time. And that's what I'm doing. I'm just digging a well so people can drink from this well. And it's just knowledge and wisdom and all the things that God has for us so we can all grow. And it's all, all given to you because God said, feed my sheep. And that's why I have this. So here we go. I'm, I'm going to go a little, I'm going to go a little, I'm going to go a little deep here. But we need to go there sometimes because deep cries into deep, right? There's what we call perception. And there is perspective. As we know, perception is based on how we see things versus how things truly are. It's how we see the world from the inside looking out. It's an outward reality based on what you see. And perspective is a point of view, Latin root word for seeing through. So there's perception and there's perspective. Okay, perspective is when you see through it and we see it. Like you can see, like for instance, what happens when you see from God's perspective? And not our perception. Perception is a form of seeing things or circumstances through a process, through your senses, becoming aware of something. Its reality is based on mental processing or evaluation of something or circumstances, something that you're processing. And it's crazy. It's mind boggling to think that we don't experience reality as it truly is. We create it based on how we see ourselves in the grand scheme of it all. That's the truth. We experience reality based on how we see ourselves in this reality. That's how we see it. What if it's not about how we see ourselves in this reality? What if it's about how God sees us in this reality? What, what is that about? This allows us to experience God's reality and not the lies of the enemy. Living a lie is accepting the lie is truth. The enemy also uses this reality on children of God. This is why he attacks our identity and how we see God in ourselves by getting us to believe what he sees and not what God says in his word. We see things from the enemy's perception. We have now shifted from God's perspective to the enemy's perception and how you see yourself in God's kingdom. This is called the power of darkness, not being able to see the truth. This is how we give the enemy power. He uses deception through perception. He makes us believe that what we see is our reality. When in truth, it's his reality, not ours. That is crazy. So the key is not to walk out his reality. The key is to walk out God's reality. Let's imagine that you were taken hostage. Let's just imagine that you were kidnapped. Okay? You're kidnapped. And you were taken far away to the enemy's camp. And, and this camp's filled with devils and demons and evil spirits. Right? All kinds of this stuff's going on. And they tie you up to a chair. And this man walks in, right? You're in this dark room and there's devils and demons, you know, warlocks, all this stuff. And, and this man walks in who happens to be a warlock or a witch or something along those lines. And he's been trained in the arts of black magic and the demonic powers. She speaks to the dead. He's a necromancer. Or, you know, he's a medium. He, he speaks to the dead, so on and so forth, who has come to do one thing. He's come to deliver you and bring you back into the devil's camp. He's going to perform deliverance on you. So he begins to push you through demonic deliverance, meaning he's going to attempt to deliver you from the godly spirit. He's going to attempt to deliver you from the godly spirit. What would that look like? What would that look like? He'd begin to yell at you, come out, you godly spirit. What's your name? Would you begin to manifest a godly spirit? 
Would you begin to manifest? Would you be taken over by God's power and authority? Would you begin to manifest a godly spirit? Would you manifest Jesus the Christ? Does the most powerful spirit in all creation begin to manifest? Does the spirit of Christ begin to speak? I'm the spirit of Christ. I am Jesus. I would, would you do that? And then when the chains fall off of you and the lights begin to flicker, does that happen? Then, then everybody would fall into the power of, of his presence as it came into the room and, and gets the man delivered and fire comes down from heaven and so on and so forth. Is that what happens? Sounds silly, doesn't it? It really does. It sounds silly. What's really crazy when you think about it is that we're already possessed by a spirit, the spirit of Christ. And for some reason, that spirit has issues speaking through us and manifesting through us whenever it wants to. Yet, think this through. Why can't the spirit of God manifest at will? Yet we teach that the demonic spirit can at any time through a born again believer who is in fact possessed by a godly spirit known as the Christ has issues manifesting that spirit. Come on. I am possessed by a spirit, not two spirits, one spirit, and his name is the Christ. So what's going on? So what we're saying is that a Christian who's filled with the most powerful spirit in all the world if i speak to it in you and i begin to command it to come forth will it do it no why not why not i mean we teach people that people that are under demonic now we're talking about christians here we tell people that christians that are full of the holy spirit and the power of christ with the full deity and bodily form on the inside of them they can't manifest the simplest things in God, but as soon as they believe they have an evil spirit on the inside of them, for some reason, that thing manifests in ways that this dude can never manifest in Christ if he wanted to. And why is that? Why is that? What is going on? I want to confirm. I'm not saying this doesn't happen within the body of Christ. What I'm addressing is that it shouldn't be happening within the body of Christ. No one will argue that. No one. Why are we encouraging what Jesus came to silence? He came to silence the devil. He came to tell him to shut up, tell him to be quiet. All manifestation is partnered with. No one can say I couldn't control myself. When's the last time you heard of a born-again believer saying that they couldn't control themselves and the Holy Spirit just took them over and they couldn't stop blessing people or they couldn't stop praying or they couldn't stop fasting or they couldn't stop preaching the gospel or they couldn't stop tithing more than they should or, or loving on people more than they should when's the last time you heard that so on and so forth seriously folks we can stop being godly anytime we want we can literally stop being godly anytime we want we can just stop god from working in our lives at any time we just choose to stop listening we choose to stop listening to him and walk away and yet when it comes to the demonic we believe it isn't like that no it is like that it's the same thing in the same way. The enemy would stop working in our lives if we just stopped listening to him and stopped and stood on the word of God. This makes no sense. So God will stop working in my life if I stop listening to him. But yet the enemy is going to force himself. <sighs> Am I crazy? I think about this. I think about this stuff all the time. You have no idea. I think of, I, like I lay there at night, like the stuff that we believe. Anyways, we manifest what we believe. It's best that we do not believe the enemy at all. Seriously. But what about the Christians that go through deliverance and they begin to manifest? Once again, you can only manifest what you believe. 
If they didn't believe the lie of the enemy or the lies of the enemy, they wouldn't be dealing with the consequences of that lie. It all has consequences, whether good or bad. We all have them. It all manifests. So no, I don't believe biblically that a born-again believer can have a devil. But I do believe that he can be one if he chooses to. Just don't be one. That's a big no-no. That's a big no-no. Big no-no. So okay, look. So let's just think this through. We're so busy trying to get spirits out of Christians because they're not behaving right or doing right or they don't know how to do right. And look, I'm going to look at it from both sides. Let's just say that I was not trained to be godly. I was not trained in the character of Christ. I wasn't, I wasn't mentored. I wasn't taught. I wasn't shown. And so, of course, I'm going to go out there and try to figure it out on my own. This is why it's important that we disciple. It's important that we mentor. It's important that we walk with people so we can help them walk out the character of Christ. But what ends up happening is we don't know people well enough. and We don't hang out with them. And they come and they show up to the church in the body and they say they're struggling with this, this, and that. we don't know who they are. They just come in off the streets and they're just like, they want to be delivered from certain things and they don't know anything. They don't know their word. They don't know their Bible. They don't know anything at all. They don't have the answer. So what do we do? We bring them in. We, we do whatever we need to do. Look, I don't care. Like I tell people, I'm not addressing the practices. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Look, if you, if you want to run it through a deliverance, if you want to run it through five to 10 hours, if you want to sit them down, whatever you need to do, but best believe whenever you're done doing that, you need to confirm to them that the enemy is a liar and that he has no legal right to him, that he can't enter him, that all he can do is deceive him. There's a spirit inside of him that's called the spirit of Christ, that he can't have him spiritually, mentally, physically, in any way that we are to, to address the way we think, that we are addressed the way we act. Now, all this is our responsibility. All of it's our responsibility. Nobody can walk out of their walk. Nobody can, can run from their salvation. Like what I mean by that is you're going to be held liable for what you do. Back to what I was saying. We have Christians. And look, look, guys, you can believe whatever you want. Everybody's entitled to believe whatever they want. Okay. But the key is to believe what God said. And so if you want to believe that you can have an evil spirit living on the inside of you, then you can. Because the Bible says, according to his faith, let it be under you. So then the rule of thumb is you should never believe that you can have one. Ever. That's James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee, which means that he will always run from you if you do what James 4, 7 says. And according to that verse, he will leave on his own. See, nobody teaches that. I teach, hey, he'll leave on his own. You don't need people to come to your house. He'll go. That's what the Bible says. And then they'll say, well, he don't want to. What's that mean? What do you mean he don't want to? Okay, you have authority. Well, I don't, I didn't believe you do. You have authority to tell him to leave. You have authority. You have authority over the, you have power. In, man, the stuff that's out there right now, man, the stuff that's out there right now, they, man, do you guys remember when nine 11 happened? I remember where I was. I was at Coke industries in Wichita, Kansas. I was sitting there. I was working and I saw on the TV when the two and towers went down, bless those people, man. God bless them. The people that were lost and their families. It was, it was crazy what happened. But do you remember right after that? The president said that they were going to wage war on terror. And I realized at that moment, at that moment, I said, that's a war that will never end because terror is an emotion. And if you can keep people in fear, you will always have a war to fight. 
The only fear that we should be having, according to scripture, is the fear of God, not the fear of the enemy. We should never fear the enemy. The Bible says, love your enemies. But we got people out there scaring the, the hell out of everybody about this devil and this demon, yada, yada, yada. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not making light of the devil, but I'm not making light of what Jesus did either. And I'm going to put Jesus before I put anything in front of Jesus. Jesus comes first. What he said, what he's doing, what he wants. Like, it's about Jesus. The hell with everybody else. It's about what he said. And I always say, this is what he said. This is what he said. And guys, you cannot be afraid of the demonic. You cannot. Look, people looking for answers outside of the only answer that we have. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And my job in this podcast, in this podcast, it's called the All Jesus Podcast. It's all about Jesus. Look, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And that's what I teach. I teach win-win. So, look, and guys, when I, was in, when I was in Minnesota, I went to a deliverance church, a church that practices deliverance. I did a three-day school there. And just spoke on everything that I spoke about. I would never address how they did things. I never said, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. I said, look, you do what God tells you to do. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. And I'm going to tell you through scripture, this is what's going on. This is what I see. And I'll put it out there. And I sat down with them during lunch. And they were like, whoa, everything you said is biblical. You can't argue any of it. It's right there. How do you implement this into the realities of what we're going through. And I said, that's the key. We have to gap the two. We got to meet in the middle. All of us, we're all one body. We're not against each other. We're not fighting each other. I'm not trying to attack your doctrine. I'm not trying to attack where you're at. Look, I'm trying to help the body of Christ. And the only way we can do that is if we have ministers come together and work together for the greater good. That's the only way it's going to happen. What good is me casting devils and demons out of everybody if I'm going to be one to you? And I'm going to treat everybody like, like I'm a devil and a demon according to how I respond to everybody. It makes no sense. Look, so why am I going to cast something out of you if I'm acting in terms of what it is I'm trying to cast out of you? Like, it makes no sense. So why don't we all come to the feet of Jesus, humble ourselves, and say, you know what? I could be wrong. I could be wrong, guys. I tell everybody, I could be wrong. We could all be wrong. But Jesus is always right. And this is why I always, always gamble on Jesus. Not that I'm saying you should gamble. I always gamble on him. He's a win-win every time. Look, man, I don't know. I don't have it all figured out, but this I do know. This is what Jesus said. And this is what he said. And look, I need to stand on what he said because he died for what he said. How many people you know died for what they said? You're supposed to die to yourself to what Jesus said every single time. And you know what? Pride is saying, you know what? Even though I know I'm wrong, I'm still not going to submit to that reality. Like, come on, man. Come on. And you know what? It took me years to come to this place. Like, I was the guy that was attacking everybody. I was the guy that was like, oh, well, he don't know what he's talking about. I was that guy. I think it's because of my age now. Maybe I'm because I'm 50 now. I see things from a different lens. Right, I've gone through some stuff. I've been humbled. I've eaten crow for a couple years. I've been on my face. Right, I got humbled by God. Like I, I thought I was bulletproof in some areas in my life, and found out I wasn't. 
and then and, and fell into some stupid stuff, right? And had issues and and it's like, wait a minute. And I had to take a step back. I had to shut down for two years and really, really, really look at where I was at and who God was for me. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know what's going on. I need to be bringing unity to the body of Christ. I need to start bringing the, the sheep together. I need to bring the fold together. We need to unite and stop fighting, fighting things and, and looking for things that divide us. And we need to find what unites us. And we need to become stronger because, look, man, the enemy is dividing and conquering. And he's doing it from the inside out. And he's in the fold. And we got to unite and we got to fight back. We got to fight back in love. We got to fight with the word of God. We got to fight back the right way. But we can't fight each other. We have to fight the lie and we have to know the difference. We have to know the difference. And that's why I did this podcast. And so when people say, hey, you know, do you believe that a Christian can have a devil? Do you believe that a Christian can have evil spirit? I'm like, what should we believe? That's the question we should be asking. Not what I believe. What should we all as a body believe? Should we believe that we can have one? Or should we resist the devil? Which one should we believe? And so I'm not trying to step on any toes. I know there's a lot of ministers out there that do certain things. And, and they have certain deliverances. And, and how they do practices and all that. But I don't have time for that. They need to do what they need to do. The only thing I have time for is bringing people to Christ. And I believe I, I truly believe, I, I really trust the Holy Spirit in you. I really do. And I really believe that anyone who gets on their face and humbles themselves and cries out to the Lord, I believe that he will bring healing in that area of your life. I believe that he will bring you to a place where you will see the truth because he is the truth. I really believe that. I have to believe that. I have to believe that. I have to believe that Jesus is greater than we could ever think or imagine. I have to believe it. I, I can't think anything else. I have to believe that. With all my heart. I have to believe that he's for us and that he's not against us. I have to believe that he wants the same thing. I have to believe that he wants to unite us. I have to believe that he doesn't want to divide us. I have to believe that he wants to bring us all in one accord so we can become a part of a unified body in Christ. I really believe that. And so I don't come against anyone. And I used to. And if I've ever come against you in the name of Jesus, I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me if I've ever done that. If I've ever, ever acted prideful if i've ever acted like i knew more if i ever made you feel less than if i ever spoke to you in a way that made you feel like you weren't everything that jesus said that you are i ask you to forgive me i'm sure i've done it we've all done it but i'm asking you if i've ever done that forgive me because the message is too great i cannot taint the message with this ignorant carnal way of thinking i can't do it the the price is too precious people's souls are too valuable and i have to humble out and i pray that god makes me small enough so i can fit in places where big things won't this is why i walked away from everything this is why i started humbling out because i want to be effective and i don't want pride to come in and i want god to to move through this podcast and through everything that i'm doing i want his hand and his fingerprint on everything and the only way that's going to happen is i have to become i have to become less he has to become greater i have to become smaller and and he said that he said that he said you have to become smaller so you'll fit in places that big things won't and i'm hoping that this message fits in your heart i'm hoping that i could be humble enough to get small enough to get into your heart and you could just receive this message and say you know what I want to receive what he's saying just so I can hear what he's saying, just so God can get the glory, because that's what it's all about. Oh, Jesus.
<laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. Come on. Jeez. Come on, guys. Come on, Jesus. Jesus, baby. Yeah. Hey, guys. If this has blessed you, I ask you that you share this with somebody. Go to the All Jesus Podcast. I'm on every platform. Just share it with someone. Right? This is part two. If you haven't listened to part one, go listen to it. Part three, I'll be doing next week. But guys, look, man, if this has blessed you, look, if if, if you want to sow into what I'm doing, Ministries at yahoo.com is my PayPal. Guys, I don't charge for this. I give it to you for free. If you want to bless this ministry, if you want to partner with me, you go right on ahead. And if you don't want to, that's okay. I'm going to be faithful whether, whether you give or whether you don't. And so, guys, I love you guys in the name of Jesus. Man, I'm so blessed. Well, you guys, thank you for putting up with me.